We are the Borg. Turn up your volume and surrender your iPods. You will be assimilated into the geeky goodness of Treks in Sci-Fi. Resistance is futile. Yes, that is right. Today, resistance is futile. This is Rico, and welcome to another edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. This will be uh, podcast number 193. It is September the 28th, 2008. It's an early Sunday morning, like is very normal for me to be doing a podcast uh, for all the geeks out there in, uh, I was going to say podcast land, but let's say the universe. Let's just, let's go, let's go big today. So uh, anyway, welcome to the show this week. Uh, we've got a uh, uh, really, it's been uh can't believe I've never done this before, but I am finally going to cover the fir- very first episode, the sort of pilot episode uh, of Next Generation Encounter at Farpoint. Uh, I looked over all my history of the show, and uh, I've never covered it. I, I've been meaning to for a while. Uh, and Well, let me get into it later in the show, and I'll tell you about some of that and the reasons and things. Uh, what else we've got? We've got some great listener entries this week, a few calls and comments to uh, play for you and some of the usual uh, uh, suspects, let's call them, <laughs> and even a new one, a, a really good one uh, that's going to give you a review of that uh, Star Trek comic CD that is out now that I need to pick up still. So uh, lots of cool things. And, and today, instead of doing that uh, sort of generic Trek theme, I thought to get us in a next-gen mood, I would play the classic-sounding uh, Jerry Goldsmith work of art and music and and greatness uh, that he did when he created the uh, theme, uh, the main theme to uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Show, show. <laughs> Let's get the show started, show. <laughs> oh, I'm goofy today, I can already tell. Uh, stand by, here we go. Again, welcome to the show, everyone. If you are a longtime listener, welcome, and new folks, welcome as uh, welcome as well. Welcome as well. <laughs> yes, uh, this is Rico. Again, yes. 
Hey, uh, I wanted to say uh, thanks. I've got uh, some new donations. Just I wanted to mention these at the top of the show. Brian, uh, these guys I think are all on the forums. Brian CD, Trekkie Geek Tim, and Rich Pete uh, got some donations from you guys in this past week, and I want to say I really appreciate that. Uh, uh, again, I just had to um, spend some money uh, last week uh, to renew the web uh, hosting fees, and that hosts uh, both the forums and all the podcasts and all that. Uh, I had to pay my annual dues, I guess, and uh, don't want to get into that too much, but uh, it does uh, it costs a little bit. Anyway, if you'd like to donate to the show, I've got donation links up on the main website, treksinsci-fi.com. Uh, you can donate maybe you know five dollars for a single time or a show or a different amount if you'd like, or even just uh, have a sort of a recur- recurring donation as a few people have generously done uh, in the last couple of weeks of like a five dollar donation each month. And uh, I you know it's uh, it's really really difficult sometimes for me to ask for this kind of stuff, but uh, it just it, it really helps offset the costs. It's still. Um, believe it or not, it still doesn't quite cover everything, but it does help. So I really, uh, really do appreciate it, guys. And uh, it uh, takes a little bit of the edge off, especially these days with, you know, craziness going on and, you know, the economy. And ugh, ugh, what am I talking about? This is geek, geeky treks in sci-fi. Get off this topic, Rico. So um, there we go. I got through the goofiness and the third person part all at the beginning of the show. <laughs> All right, anyway, thanks, guys. I really appreciate your donations. What's going on with the latest Star Trek movie? Let's find out. Wait a second, go. Okay, well, uh, the, the only thing I really got to pass on this week, I guess, about the, the Star Trek movie was uh, was this, that uh, the screenwriting team of Orsi and Kurtzman, I think it's how you say his name, Orsi, uh, these two young uh, Hollywood guys are just everywhere, these writers, uh, they are co-creators with J.J. Abrams of the new TV show Fringe, which uh, I have to say I'm, I'm starting to enjoy even more. Each week it gets a little more interesting. They just showed, I think, the third episode this past week. They worked on that show, so they're out doing some press uh, for Fringe. And they also have this new movie out, which I'm going to go see later today, called Eagle Eye with Shia LaBeouf, or however you say his name, uh, which looks pretty cool. So I'm going to go see that later on. And uh, So they're out doing a lot of press, and they were asked a few questions about Transformers. They're writing that uh, sequel, as well as, of course, they are the screenwriting team to Trek. And they're both saying that they're uh, pretty certain that the full trailer which I've talked about the last few weeks, I think, is going to be out before the holidays, before, um, well, before the end of the year, let's just say, with some film that comes out between now and then, and uh, I'm sure online as well. And that's, it really has to be. I mean, there's no reason it shouldn't be. It, it, the filming is, is way finished, and effects work well. They, they should have it pretty wrapped up enough by then to at least put a trailer together, I would hope. So uh, and you could always cut around that. You could always just show us more of the people and the sets and things than you can, you know, space battles and all that kind of stuff. So so we should see the trailer uh, before the end of the year. Okay, next up, I'd like to play uh, along the Star Trek subject uh, line and area. I have um, I've got a new member named Darren on the forums, relatively new member, I guess. Uh, and uh, he has graciously sent in a, a very nice review 
of that uh, Star Trek comic. I guess it's a it's not a CD. It's a DVD. I don't know if I said CD earlier. I believe it's just a DVD with all the uh, pretty much every Star Trek comic just about that's been done in the in the past decades on this thing, except for the very recent stuff. Uh, and uh, I, I do have to say, I listened to this already. Didn't listen to all of it yet. I'm going to listen to it as I play it for you guys. But, uh, Darren, you've got an, an amazing voice. Uh, I, I, are you in radio or do you do a podcast? Because you have a very good voice. We're going to have to work on some uh, bumpers or trailers or something for the uh, the podcast a little more specific. So, uh, Darren, uh, I'll be sending you an email very soon. Anyway, uh, without any further ado, like they say, here is Darren's review of that Trek comic DVD. Hi, Rico, and everyone else listening to Treks and Sci-Fi. This is Darren from the forum, a relatively new member to the forum, but uh, I've been listening to this podcast for a long, long time, and I just think Rico and uh, everybody else involved with this podcast does a great, great job. It's very entertaining. It really fills a void for uh, all the geeks out there like me. So what I've decided to do is tell you all about a, a new product that I got uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it came out a couple of weeks ago. It's called uh, Star Trek The Complete Comic Book Collection. It's a DVD-ROM made for both uh, Windows and Mac. Both operating systems can run it. I'm a big fan of the Star Trek comics, and this truly does live up to its name. It is the Complete Comic Book Collection. Every comic book from July 1967, when they started all the way through October of 2002. So you're not getting the latest uh, Star Trek comic books that are out there now, but you are getting a treasure trove of uh, many of the other comics, from Gold Key Western Comics. That's when Star Trek started. You get all the uh, comic books published by DC Comics, Malibu Comics, Marvel Comics, and Wildstorm Comics. Not to mention there's a bonus here that's included. I don't know if you guys remember the... uh, the old Peter Pan Power Records stories. Remember those uh, comic books that uh, came packaged with a record? You could read the comic book and you could hear a dramatization of uh, the Star Trek adventures uh, played out for you. And th- the, those comic books are included as a bonus. But the only thing that's not included here that I can see, the old Star Trek X-Men crossover. There was one, maybe two issues put out. I can't remember. I, I know I have the first one somewhere in my... Uh, polybagged collection of comic books that's not on here i assume because you know maybe they couldn't get the rights to uh, the x-men from marvel comics anyway let's talk about what you get all the comic books that were ever published from these makers uh during those years and there are some classics here not every comic book is is stellar i'd be the first to admit that but once once you got to the dc comics era you know after the motion picture marvel comics came out with a line that lasted 18 issues. It was okay. Uh, Not great. But once DC Comics tackled this series in 1983, after The Wrath of Khan came out, Peter David and uh, many other people really churned out some excellent stories. One of them was the Mirror Universe saga that uh, took place during issues number 9 through 16 in the DC run. That's when Bearded Spock and the evil Captain Kirk return, and they're spotlighting an eight-part sequel to Mirror Mirror set directly after Star Trek III. They had to, uh, kind of a delicate balance when this series first came out after the Wrath of Khan, Star Trek II, because Spock was dead. Once Spock came back in Star Trek III, they, of course, restored him to the comic book series. But then the Enterprise had been blown up. So they transferred, later on, they transferred the crew of the Enterprise to the Excelsior 
for a few issues until Star Trek IV came out. So there are some interesting continuity things going on here that I found fascinating. A real highlight for me over the entire run of the DC Comics Star Trek universe was a hardback graphic novel called Debt of Honor. It is uh, included on this set. You also get a crossover between Deep Space Nine and Next Generation. Uh, Marvel Comics put out a series, a five-issue miniseries called Untold Voyages. Um, these are stories that follow the events of Star Trek The Motion Picture. You get something called The Gorn Crisis from Wildstorm Comics. That's an original graphic novel. Overall, I recommend this DVD-ROM set, but it does have its problems. One of the problems is it looks like they took just direct scans from someone's comic book collection in their basement, you know, laid it out over a scanner, and scanned these issues in one page at a time. And that's basically what they did with this, uh, with this DVD-ROM set. So when you're talking about going back to the old Gold Key comics from the 1960s and scanning through those, they didn't have every issue in just pristine condition. You see some tearing of pages, uh, some bending of pages. They're not all in tip-top shape. And also, here's another problem that you get, with, the, especially with the Gold Key and the early DC Comics and Marvel Comics issues. Um, remember how they used to color comic books back then? Not every color had was filled in very richly. They used a process that, that essentially used a bunch of colored dots to fill in some sections of each panel. And when you blow it up on a computer screen, that kind of flaw really does it really comes out at you in a, in a big way i wish that they had been able to go back to the original art to put together these dvd roms um, i know today they keep of course this is all done digitally today for comic books so they have those digital files ready to go for online comic books and whatnot that look fantastic these days um, they didn't do that for this set they literally scanned through every single issue so there are flaws. However, they really did, I believe, the best that they could with the material that they were given. Um, this was a daunting task. They had a bunch of different comic books uh, publishers to go through to put this together. So I can understand why they had to go through some hoops and maybe take a few shortcuts. But and maybe there were no, maybe there was no existing original art to put these together. I don't know. the uh, The positive here is that you're getting a an excellent complete set. They did the best job with the images that they could, I think. The colors essentially look pretty good. If there was any yellowing of pages um, in the limited amount of time I've had with this set, I can't tell. So overall, I recommend this set, especially if you're a fan of comic books, if you're a fan of Star Trek, which all of us are. Thanks for having me on your podcast, Rico. I really enjoy it. Thanks for all the great entertainment. Bye. Great job, Darren. Thanks so much for sending in that commentary and review of that uh, DVD-ROM of the Star Trek comics. Uh, I've got to pick that up. I, uh, I own most of those. I think the gold keys I, I lost a long time ago when um, there was a little basement flooding in my old parents' house. But uh, I actually only had the collected versions. I think they put those out a few times. But this is great to have an electronic version of them and uh, definitely something that all Trek fans and uh, comic fans should pick up.
adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. The Borg are an amalgam of cybernetically enhanced humanoid drones of multiple species, organized as an interconnected collective with a hive mind inhabiting a vast region of space. They operate towards one single-minded purpose, to add the biological and technological distinctiveness of other species to their own in the pursuit of perfection. They are the adversary of autonomy, the definition of slavery. They are the juggernauts of an infinite number of quadrants and parallel dimensions, including the mirror universe. Join us on the Ready Room microcast as we read a chapter each week, or visit the Treks and Sci-Fi forum and follow the crew of the Arabella in Season 8 of the RPG as they battle the Borg in two dimensions. The mirror universe has never been so treacherous. Yes, definitely uh, check out the Ready Room podcast if you haven't. Uh, you know, even if you're not into the RPG game that we're doing on the forums over the last you know year or whatever or two or however it's it's been a while. We're in season eight. Uh, I think the Ready Rooms you'd really enjoy lately. We're doing some dramatic readings from the writing that's going on in season eight, and it's really getting exciting and interesting. And people are doing a fantastic job, uh, both in the writing and the reading of these uh, posts. So. Uh, Check it out and give it a listen. It'll be up uh, usually about midweek every week, so uh, check it out. Uh, we're having a lot of fun, and if you'd like to join us, just check it out all over at the Treks and Sci-Fi forums. Okay, next up, uh, we have a, a little uh, review and commentary here from Meds uh, in England. Uh, I talked just very briefly last week at the near the end of the Stargate podcast about a website, uh, The Big Finish uh, over at, uh, I think it's thebigfinish.com. Uh, you can check last week's podcast notes for the URL. But he had some comments. He knew the show or knew them more than I did because it's a UK-based production. They're the ones that did this um, audio dramatizations of things like Doctor Who and more Stargate stuff. So uh, I'll let Meds tell you all about it. Hi, Rico. This is Meds, otherwise known as Hawkeye Meds, on the Treks in Sci-Fi's forums. On your podcast dedicated to Stargate SG-1 and Atlantis, you mentioned Big Finish Productions and wanted to know a little bit more about the company. Well, I know a little bit about them. Uh, they've produced over 75 CD Doctor Who stories featuring the 5th, 6th, 7th and 8th Doctors. That is not including spin-off series or special edition releases. The great thing for me about Big Finish is that they've been able to get hold of the original actors who played the role of the Doctors during their time, e.g. Peter Davison, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy and, of course, Paul McGann. Along with the Doctors from the original series, most of their companions have returned, such as Nisa, Turlo, Perry, the damn awful Mal, oh, she was terrible, and Ace. This is exceptionally lucky for us Who fans, who wanted to experience more of Colin Baker and Paul McGann. Obviously Paul McGann only got one shot at it, he had the movie, and Colin Baker really didn't, really wasn't given a chance to, to show his all. And uh, these stories produced by Big Finish have really helped him come along as a Doctor, and he's now possibly one of the best Doctors. Big Finish began with a series of audio plays adapted from New Adventures. Uh, these were a series of novels from Virgin Books, and uh, they had the license to do Doctor Who stories at that time. 
The main man um, with Big Finish is actor and writer Nicholas Briggs, and he's best known to everyone who does the voice of the Daleks and, of course, the Cybermen in the new TV series of Doctor Who. Uh, Briggs has wrote and directed many of the Big Finish productions uh, for Doctor Who. Uh, they cost around about £10 a go, and with the Doctor Who stories, you can actually download an episode for 99p, um, which is brilliant, because then you can test out the, the story, and if you like it, then you can go and pay the rest and get the actual CD. I don't know what the Stargate Big Finish productions are like, but if they have anything like the Doctor Who stories, you really are in for a treat. Uh, go check them out, look at the website, it's www.bigfinish.com, and if you want to know more about the Doctor Who Big Finish stories, then uh, fellow podcasters DWO Online, uh, you can find them on iTunes, have just produced a podcast devoted totally to Big Finish's productions. I hope that's some help to you, Rico. Thanks a lot, all the best. Cheers. Thanks a lot for that, Meds. Uh, it's very informative. Uh, I didn't know at all that those guys did all that Doctor Who stuff. Uh, really uh, sounds interesting. I'm going to have to check them out. I'm going to try to get a uh, copy or uh, maybe write them and see if I can get sort of a review copy of one of those Stargate uh, shows that they did, and maybe I'll talk about it on a future episode. So hopefully uh, I'll be able to snag something like that to take a look at one and uh, let everyone know about it. Hey, next up, uh, I'm going to take a little brief break here. I want to, uh, I've done this before. I haven't done it in a while. I want to play a little bit of music sort of in the middle of the show here before, uh, and then I'll be coming back right after that and getting into uh, the look at Encounter at Farpoint. Uh, this uh, that I'm going to play for you is a uh, song from Joss Whedon's Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog, which all can be found at drhorrible.com. Uh, if you're not familiar with this and you're a Joss Whedon fan, well, if you're a Joss Whedon fan, I'm sure you're familiar with this. He did this uh, sort of internet uh, video thing. I, I don't even know how to really describe it. Uh, if you're familiar with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, they did a whole musical episode, uh, which was excellent, that I loved. I uh, loved that show and Angel as well. Well, he did this uh, musical uh, internet, again, kind of movie um, with some of his favorites, and it's all sort of musical-based, and uh, it's sort of about this mad scientist and uh, all the classic kind of cliché superhero damsel in distress and, and things. But anyway, I uh, I got their, uh, the soundtrack to it, and I wanted to play one of the songs for you. It's relatively short, uh, only about 2 minutes, 20 seconds, but this is with uh, Neil Patrick Harris, Felicia Day, and Nathan Fillion singing A Man's Gotta Do. man's gotta do what a man's gotta do Don't plan the plan if you can't follow through All that matters, taking matters into your own hands Soon I'll control everything my wish is your command Stand back everyone, nothing here to see Just imminent danger in the middle of it, me Yes, Captain Hammer's here, hair blowing in the breeze The day needs my saving expertise A man's gotta do what a man's gotta do Seems destiny ends with me saving you the only doom that's blooming is you loving me today. So 
Just uh, love it. Love the whole Dr. Horrible thing. Love Joss Whedon. It's it's just a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, there's a few people out there I've heard say things like, ah, oh, this is just, you know, it's not that great. It's kind of overhyped. And I'm like, you know, you guys haven't really, I, I, I guess that, that doesn't matter to me. I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I just found it uh, so much fun. It, it really tugs on all your emotions. And, and you know, Joss just uh, just does a great job with it, and all the people involved uh, in the show and production. Uh, hats off to you guys! And if you haven't checked it out, go over to drhorrible.com and see what it's all about. Captain's log: Stardate four one one five three point seven. Our destination is planet Deneb Four, beyond which lies the great unexplored mass of the galaxy. to examine Farpoint, a starbase built there by the inhabitants of that world. Meanwhile, I am becoming better acquainted with my new command, this galaxy-class USS Enterprise. I am still somewhat in awe of its size and complexity. As for my crew, we are short in several key positions, most notably a first officer, but I'm informed that a highly experienced man, one Commander William Riker, will be waiting to join the ship at our Deneb 4 destination. You will agree, Data, that Starfleet's orders are difficult. Difficult? Simply solve the mystery of Farpoint Station. As simple as that. Farpoint Station. Even the name sounds mysterious. It's hardly simple, Data, to negotiate a friendly agreement for Starfleet to use the base while at the same time snoop around, finding out how and why the life form there built it. Inquiry. The word... Snoop? Data, how can you be programmed as a virtual encyclopedia of human information without knowing a simple word like snoop? A possibility. A kind of human behavior I was not designed to emulate. It means, um... Spy to sneak. Ah, to seek covertly, to go stealthily, to slink, slither. Exactly, yes. Glide, creep, skulk, pussyfoot, gum. Yes, shoe. Captain, I'm sensing a a powerful mind. Something strange on this detector circuit. 
Well, there you had the uh, beginning of part of Encounter at Farpoint, the first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation ever aired back uh, towards the end of September 1987, 21 years ago. Uh, at about this time, actually, uh, it was when uh, I was sitting down uh, in my older house uh, with some friends, uh, longtime Trek fans that I grew up with, and we all gathered together. You know, we'd all been... TOS fans and watched the reruns forever and uh and the movies you know at that point we had gotten uh what 87 we'd gotten up to what Star Trek uh three or so I think <laughs> anyway uh maybe four when did four come out I'm blanking on it on the, the exact date was it 87 88 anyway um the uh, the pilot episode of, of TNG is something I've wanted to cover for a while, but for different reasons I haven't gotten to it. First off, uh, I think it's a pretty good episode. It does a great job of introducing all the characters, but it's really not you know what I'd put on a, a top list of TNG episodes by far. I mean, and and a lot of shows start off a little rough like that around the edges. I mean. A, a first episode, for example, like this anyway, has to do a lot. It has to introduce all the characters. You have to get an idea of where they are, what's going on, the settings, the environments. And with Star Trek, that's even more complex and involved. So you're limited on the plot angle. But I think they did a good job with this. And let me give you a little bit of background before we get into more clips and talk about uh, specifics about the episode. Um, first off, this was, uh, of course, uh, Gene Roddenberry's uh, second uh, go at Trek on, on television. He uh, he gathered up a lot of people that worked on the original series and brought them in here. Some of the producers, like Bob Justman, the costumer designer, uh, William Ware Thesis. Is that how you say his name? I think so. Uh, and uh, DC Fontana worked on this episode specifically with Gene. They wrote it, uh, Encounter at Farpoint. And the episode itself went through uh, quite a few changes. First off, there was a struggle uh, to decide whether to make it a, a one-hour or, or kind of more of a two-hour big event movie. Gene really didn't want to do a, a big event movie. You know, this wasn't really traditionally a pilot episode. They had already sold... Uh, the Next Generation as a new TV series. It didn't have to prove itself. Uh, they gave Gene a go-ahead to do this season of uh, Trek anyway, no matter what they thought of the pilot or how it came out. So uh, the network, though, or it was going into syndication, uh, they wanted something you know really big and splashy, and Gene wanted to do more of a traditional one-hour Star Trek drama. So you'll notice that this episode really has kind of two big distinct uh, parts to it. There's the whole Q part and testing of humanity, and then there's the whole investigating Farpoint Station with the alien there and all that. The the Farpoint aspect of it and that, and investigating the station there, that was really what Gene just wanted to do. But uh, the, uh, the, the Q aspect was thrown in later to add some drama and excitement to the episode and to lengthen it, of course. And there were other scenes put in to, to add to the length of the show so that they, they could stretch it out over a two-hour period. Uh, one of them was the, the great scene with uh, DeForest Kelly coming back as Dr. McCoy, which I'll talk about more as I, when I play that clip. Uh, let's see, what else did they do here? They, there were some minor changes as well. I'm not going to go into sort of the history of where they got to this point of the episode. I've done that before. 
when I was doing kind of a history of Trek, I think, podcast, and I've talked about it at different times, you know, the casting of the show and, uh, you know, the different roles and things that you see. So we'll we'll talk mainly about the episode itself, uh, but I wanted to bring up some of those points that um, you might not all be aware of uh, as far as this episode goes. So uh, we played the intro for you. The next clip I have uh, from the episode is uh, the first uh, little bit of Q's appearance on the bridge of the Galaxy-class USS Enterprise. So here we go with that. Thou art notified that thy kind have infiltrated the galaxy too far already. Thou art directed to return to thine own solar system immediately. That's quite a directive. Would you mind identifying what you are? We call ourselves the Cube. Oh, thou mates call me that. It's all much the same thing. I present myself to thee as a fellow ship captain, that thou mates better understand me. Go back whence thou camest. Stay where thou art. He's frozen! He would not have injured you. You recognize this? The stun setting? Knowing humans as thou dost, Captain, wouldst thou be captured helpless by them? Now go back, or thou shalt most certainly die. Yeah, you have the excellent uh, John Delancey there playing Q. And uh, when I was watching this episode again yesterday and catching the clips, I, you know, I, I had forgotten about how, you know, he went through those different... I know he went through different characters when he first appears on the, the bridge of the Enterprise, but, you know, the different voices and the way he changes, the way he talks with kind of an old-style accent, old English, I think, or whatever it is. And and then, you know, all these different changes. And, and slowly by the end of the episode, he sort of brought up He's wearing his um, TNG-style uniform, and he's kind of come up to the modern age. And I, I, I had seen that before, and I'd thought about it over the years, And but it just, as I was zipping through the episode, catching the clips that I wanted, it just became real apparent that that was uh, very intentional, of course, you know, that he had kind of been seeing. It, it reminds you a lot, and they did a book about this, um, very much about, like, Trelane on the original series in The Squire of Gothos, uh, where he was sort of, his impressions of Earth were Earth of old. And slowly again through this episode, like, like well, Trelane didn't really do this, but Q does it. He he slowly moves up through time, and eventually he, he sort of accepts humanity has changed to a degree. Um, and he is he's wearing modern dress and talking more normally, uh, like the crew of the Enterprise and so forth. Uh, so I, I thought that was uh, something interesting to point out. Uh, I've got a couple of clips here. I'm gonna I think I'm just gonna play maybe them back to back. These are in the courtroom uh, scene when uh, the Q uh, brings them there, and the the group of them are held kind of accountable for all of past humanity's crimes and things. So there'll be a little pause between them, and I'm gonna play just both uh, court clips for you in a row. So I think they're each about a minute long. So listen to this. I'll plead you, criminal. If I may, Captain. 
Objection, Your Honor. In the year 2036, the new United Nations declared that no Earth citizen could be made to answer for the crimes of his race or forebears. Objection denied. This is a court of the year 2079, by which time more rapid progress had caused all United Earth nonsense to be abolished. Tasha, no. I must, because I grew up in a world that allowed things like this court. And it was people like these that saved me from it. This so-called court should get down on its knees to what Starfleet is, what it represents. We agree there is evidence to support the court's contention that humans have been savage. Therefore, I say test us. Test whether this is presently true of humans. I see. And so you petitioned the court to accept you and your comrades as proof of what humanity has become. There must be many ways we can be tested. We have a long mission ahead of us. Another brilliant suggestion, Captain. But your test hardly requires a long mission. Your immediate destination offers far more challenge than you can possibly imagine. Yes. This far point station will be an excellent test. All present, respectfully stand. This court is adjourned. Yeah, some good, uh, very good scenes there between, you know, the queue between John Delancey and Patrick Stewart as Captain Picard. Uh, I was, again, very impressed when I watched this of just being the very first episode, the first time Patrick Stewart is playing uh, Picard, of how good he is, really, as an actor and, and just coming into this role. He... he really dominates uh, the group here, and as well he should, being in the role of the captain. But uh, he is really dead on. Of course, he's he's just a little different in this episode. Uh, you know, this whole business about not liking children, he's a little more stiff and things, but he does a really great, fantastic job here as uh, Picard, even in the very early, early days of TNG. The other actors, a little more unsure, I think, of themselves. Uh, I thought Denise Crosby there, you know, that scene where... Um, She's, uh, you know, crying out for how great the Federation is and everything, did a good job. Uh, I'm one of the, you know, I'm a Tashi Yar fan. I'm one of the supporters and would have liked to have seen her be able to continue on the show. I thought that was an interesting character, and uh, I was sorry to see when she left the show. But, uh, of course, then you brought the whole Wharf thing in more. And, uh, you know, that I guess, the you know, the rest is history right now. So uh, what else we have here as we go through most of the... Uh, uh, rest of the clips, not the rest, all of them, but uh, a good chunk of the next clips you're going to be hearing are sort of the introduction scenes for some of the different characters, which I thought they did pretty well in mixing it up, and you got to meet them and learn a, a little bit about each of them and their histories with each other and that, and there were, they tried to to form a lot of connections that way, and things that uh, would carry throughout the series, which was kind of interesting too, the Riker uh, and Troy story, in the in the uh, situation between uh, Dr. Crusher and Picard and their history and uh, and Data, of course, with uh, you know his striving to be human, they they really threw a lot of those things in and Wesley too uh, in this first episode and things that they really 
sowed the seeds sort of for the uh, a lot of their other shows to come in future uh, you know future seasons and uh, throughout the series itself. So uh, let's play this clip here. This is the intro. This is the first bit you get to hear and see of uh, uh, Riker and the the Crushers that are already on Farpoint. Mother. Commander Riker. Hello, Wes. Enjoying Farpoint Station? Yes, sir. I saw you. I thought I might join you for a stroll. Actually, we were about to do some shopping. I've been meaning to visit the mall myself. Of course. If you're wondering about Mom, Commander Riker, she's not unfriendly. She's just shy around men she doesn't know. Wesley, I believe that means he would like us to be friends. Oh, I'm willing, Doctor. Although we're not officially part of the Enterprise, I thought there might be something useful we could do while we wait. Useful? How, Commander? Investigating some things that I've noticed since I've been here. The last was a piece of Gold fruit. would be lovely with this. If I had asked for an apple, I am I would... sure, Commander, there are reasons for a first officer to want to demonstrate his energy and alertness to a new captain. But since my duty and interests are outside the command structure... Remarkably happen to have exactly what you asked for. Thank you. So there's uh, Will Wheaton as Wesley Crusher and Gates McFadden as uh, Dr. Crusher and uh, Jonathan Frakes as uh, Riker. And uh, pretty good introduction. I thought Frakes does a good job in this episode. He's very much like he is throughout the series, I think. Uh, he does a good job. Crusher there, Gates McFadden, I think, uh, not quite the smoothest in this episode, but that later uh, becomes a little easier, I think, for her. And uh, and Will Wheaton, very, very young Will Wheaton there as, as poor, uh, persecuted Wesley Crusher. Uh, he gets... Uh, he gets a little, you know, some difficult things that he has to do in, in in this episode and in later episodes in the early seasons. But I think he does good and does well by the end of the series, and or at least the end of his part of the series. Next clip up is uh, the introduction between, uh, or the meeting, the first meeting between Riker and Picard. Not quite the first. He comes on the bridge, but this is the first time I think they get to talk a little more uh, informally in uh, the captain's ready room. So here's this clip. I see in your file that Captain DeSoto thinks very highly of you. One curious thing, however, you refuse to let him beam down to Altair 3. In my opinion, Sir, Altair 3 was too dangerous to risk exposing the captain. I see. Captain's rank means nothing to you. Rather the reverse, sir. But a captain's life means a great deal more to me. Isn't it just possible that you don't get to be a Starfleet captain without knowing whether it's safe to beam down or not? Isn't it a little presumptuous of a first officer to second-guess his captain's judgment? Permission to speak candidly, sir. Always. Having been a first officer yourself, you know that assuming that responsibility must, by definition, include the safety of the captain... I have no problem with following any rules you lay down, short of compromising your safety. And you don't intend to back off from that position? No, sir. One further thing. Special favor. Anything, sir? Using the same strength you showed with Captain DeSoto, I would appreciate it if you could keep me from making an ass of myself with children. Sir? I'm not a family man, Riker, and yet Starfleet has given me a ship with children aboard. Yes, sir. And I... Uh, 
I don't feel comfortable with children. But since her captain needs an image of geniality, you're to see that's what I project. Aye, sir. Welcome to the Enterprise, Commander Riker. Yeah, I like that scene. Uh, you know, Picard's he's pretty firm with Riker here at the get-go, and of course they become uh, very you know good friends, close throughout the years. Uh, but this business with Picard and children, I, I I'm not really sure why they decided to put that in or why that was such a why they thought that was important. Uh, you know, they made a big point out of this is a family sort of enterprise, a family ship with a thousand people aboard and, and rather than on these deep sea deep sea <laughs> deep space voyages rather than you know some guys kissing their wives and families goodbye or were women even the opposite and then um the uh and then running off to space for a five-year mission or whatever they bring all their family aboard and i thought that was an interesting and a in good concept and in the the captain sort of having so much trouble with that and so much trouble with children, uh, especially by the 24th century. And, you know, the thing is that this, this sort of problem like this, he slowly it slowly fades away, if you notice. And, of course, he is uh, – and you could just say, well, at the beginning, you know, as Picard becomes – as the character becomes more used to children and families – uh, that uh, you know, Picard the character changes over the years, and he and he sort of evolves a little bit too. So, um, but in this episode, of course, there's the bit with Wesley that he has trouble with, and that. But it, uh, uh, I thought it was just interesting that they gave him a little bit of a fault because one of the things that people would say about TNG uh, over the you know the seasons even or, or whatever is that the characters were just a little too goody-goody, a little too perfect. So I thought that uh, the fact that they gave even the captain kind of a flaw was an interesting idea. So uh, uh, next we have uh, probably one of my favorite scenes in this whole episode, of course, being a, uh original series fan. When this happened, when I first saw this scene, when you got to see the, the older Dr. McCoy come aboard the Enterprise and kind of send her off on her way. Uh, I, I just, you know, got a little misty, I have to say. I mean, it was just perfect. Uh, you know, they this is one of the scenes that they had to, and that they decided to put in to kind of lengthen the episode, but it just works very well. And to put him with uh, Data as, uh, you know, that that's who's escorting him aboard the Enterprise and seeing him on his way is just perfect. Uh, just I'll, I'll play the scene here in a second for you. But I wanted to mention DeForest Kelly and just how uh, awesome he does in this, you know, you know, just, just this short little scene, a couple minutes long. He just perfectly nails, uh, you know, his character, Dr. McCoy, and, and how to handle the scene. And uh, I also had found out that he didn't make a lot of money. He just basically got, you know, the SAG, the Screen Actors Guild's minimum or whatever they call it, wage to do this he kind of just did it as a favor to gene gene had him to lunch one day and said to d that uh hey would you be willing to do this scene you know i'm doing this new star trek uh this new star trek series and we've got a nice little scene to kind of like bridge the gap between the two series would you be willing and you know d didn't even like skip a beat because uh, gene was a little unsure whether he'd be keen on doing this uh 
you know, this is kind of like, you know, you're turning over the keys to your, your favorite car to somebody else. And, but, but DeForest Kelly, he was such a gentleman. He just, you know, didn't hesitate to sort of, uh, help Gene out and, you know, to sort of reward or, or, or kind of, you know, as a favor for everything he'd done for D, you know, casting him in Star Trek and everything over the years. So, uh, so without uh, me babbling anymore, here's the awesome scene with, uh, Dr. McCoy aboard the Enterprise of TNG era. Where will I find Commander Data? Commander Data is on special assignment, sir. He's using our shuttlecraft to transfer an admiral over to the hood. An admiral? He's been aboard all day, sir, checking over medical layout. Why a shuttlecraft? Why wouldn't he just beam over? I suppose he could, sir. But the admiral is a rather remarkable man. If you got some reason you want my atoms scattered all over space, boy. No, sir. But at your age, sir, I thought you shouldn't have to put up with the time and trouble of a shuttlecraft. Hold it right there, boy. Sir, what about my age? Sorry, sir. If that subject troubles you. Troubles me? What's so damn troublesome about not having died? How old do you think I am anyway? 137 years, Admiral, according to Starfleet records. Explain how you remember that so exactly. I remember every fact I'm exposed to, sir. I don't see no points on your ears, boy. But you sound like a Vulcan. No, sir. I'm an android. Hmm. Almost as bad. I thought it was generally accepted, sir, that Vulcans are an advanced and most honorable race. They are, they are. Damn annoying at times. Yes, sir. Well, this is a new ship, but she's got the right name. Now, you remember that, you hear? I will, sir. You treat her like a lady. She'll always bring you home. Just a just a wonderful scene there, Gene. Uh, that uh, they put in and uh, that DeForest Kelly performed it uh, really, really helped helped uh, send the you know the TNG crew on their way and fit real well into the episode. Uh, and as you can see it throughout these, uh, what I'm playing mostly is is not so much about the plot of the episode, more focused on the characters, and that's kind of the way I wanted to do it. But as we get towards the end here, I'll we'll get back to kind of the storyline a little bit more. Uh, the next one is the, the Riker and Troy meeting aboard the Enterprise for the first time. And, of course, they definitely have a history together. I've asked the counselor to join us in this meeting. May I introduce our new first officer, Commander William Riker. Commander Riker, this is our ship's counselor, Deanna Troy. Do you remember what I taught you, Imzadi? Can you still sense my thoughts? Pleasure, Commander. Likewise, Counselor. Have the two of you met before? We have, sir. Excellent. I consider it important for my key officers to know each other's abilities. We do, sir. We do. I, too, could never say goodbye, Imzadi. Yeah, one of 
of the troubling things with this episode and throughout some of the early days of TNG was Troy's accent. You know, they, they she really, it's kind of a little distracting and a little all over the place. It changes, and uh, I kind of wish they had just let her, let her use her own voice uh, pretty much like she normally, you know, speaks. And by the end of TNG, it's kind of that way. But when you go back in time, you know, when you go back and see one of these early episodes, it, it really kind of sticks out at you a little bit more. And uh, that whole the way she's saying Imzadi uh, <laughs> is a bit much. And uh, But anyway, uh, and eventually, of course, in uh, Star Trek uh, Nemesis, right, uh, they got married. So uh, eventually they got back together. Uh, the next clip, this is another one of my favorite scenes here. This is the uh, scene on the holodeck. Uh, when uh, Riker first meets uh, Commander Data. This was um, one of the only kind of location shots that they did. It was done in uh, Griffith Park uh, when they needed to show the holodeck and what that could do aboard the Enterprise. They filmed this uh, a good part of this scene out in Griffith Park. So anyway, here is Riker and Data meeting for the first time. Harmless. How easily humans do that. I still need much practice. There's some puzzles down on the... down on the planet that the captain once answered. He suggests that I take you with me on the way team, but I'll be leading. I shall endeavor to function adequately, sir. Yes. When the captain suggested you, I looked up your record. Yes, sir. A wise procedure, sir, always. Then your rank of lieutenant commander is honorary. No, sir. Starfleet class of 78, honors in probability mechanics and exobiology. Your file says that you're a... Machine, correct, sir. Does that trouble you? To be honest, yes. A little? Understood, sir. Prejudice is very human. Now, that does trouble me. Do you consider yourself superior to us? I am superior, sir, in many ways. But I would gladly give it up to be human. Nice to meet you, Pinocchio. Ah, intriguing. You're going to be an interesting companion, Mr. Data. Yeah, another uh, another one of the actors here in this uh, first episode that I think really has their character down pretty quickly and does a great job is Brent Spiner there as Data. I think they uh, he he's. He's really just perfect for this part. I don't know how many. I think I've heard over the years a few other actors they had in line and uh, other possibilities, but there's just no way I can imagine anyone else. He just has, I don't know, there's just something right exactly about the way he's doing data here that seems to fit perfectly to as, you know, being sort of this android machine trying to be human. Uh, it, it's just, it, with someone less talented, I think it would have come off as really stiff or or just not quite right and, and, and just not believable. I guess that's the way I can kind of put it more succinctly, that uh, he just seems to just really fit the role of Data and uh, pulls it off very well. Anyway, next up we have Wes uh, coming up on the bridge. What the hell? Children are not allowed on the bridge. Permission to report to the captain. Dr. Crusher. Captain. Sir, my son is not on the bridge. He merely accompanied me on the turbo lift.
His name's Wesley. You last saw him years ago when... relationship there, the history between uh, Picard and Dr. Crusher. Of course, Picard uh, knew her, her husband, Jack, and uh, I, I think that was a nice scene. I like the way they did that, and uh, I think that was, you know, Wesley, uh, who is sort of this alter ego, I think, of Gene Roddenberry a little bit, this sort of boy genius to a degree. You know, he, Wesley, I think, is probably one of the most probably instrumental in, in the way that kind of loosens up Picard with children over the years. He eventually sort of uh, is kind of a father figure to Wesley, and he learns that the the kid you know has some talents, and uh, and he eventually goes to Starfleet and all that. So um, now back to the storyline, <laughs> they, they get to Farpoint, and they discover you know there's this creature on the planet that's sort of being held there in a way, and it eventually this other creature shows up, and there are these two space entities which. Uh, uh, have been sort of separated. It's sort of supposed to be the one is the you know the mate of the other, and they discover this, and it was uh, the Enterprise helps to release the creature on uh, on Farpoint, and and then um, that's where we get into with this next clip. Robler, you captured something like that, didn't you? Warn my people, please. To leave Farpoint Station immediately. He lies, Captain. Shouldn't you let his people die? Transmit the message. Leave Farpoint Space Station immediately. Then it was a pair of creatures I was sensing. One down there, in grief and pain. The other up here, filled with anger. And firing not on the new space station, but on the Bandy and their city. Attacking those who had captured... Captured its mate. Energy beam ready, sir. Lock it in on Farpoint Station. I see now it was too simple a puzzle. Generosity has always been my weakness. Let it have whatever it can absorb. Energize. Yeah, so the Enterprise frees the other um, space creature, and they uh, they kind of lock tentacles out there in space and fly off together, and uh, and that solves that mystery. There's just a couple more clips to play here. This one is uh, Picard kind of kicking uh, kicking Q off his ship, I think. So listen to this. Why do you use other life forms for your recreation? If so, you've not provided the best. Leave us! We've passed your little test. Temper, temper, mon capitaine. Get off my ship. 
I do so only because it suits me to leave. I will not promise never to appear again. course, Q would appear numerous times throughout uh, TNG and Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Uh, uh, he uh, he showed up to sort of uh, sometimes kind of nemesis uh, for the crew and uh, other times when he needed help even. Uh, last clip to play towards the end of the episode, kind of the sign-off for this uh, first episode of TNG, and then I'll come back kind of with um, some final thoughts. All stations, ready for departure, sir. Some problem, Riker. Just hoping this isn't the usual way our missions will go, sir. Oh, no, number one. I'm sure most will be much more interesting. Let's see what's out there. Engage. There you have uh, the look at the pilot episode to Star Trek The Next Generation Encounter at Farpoint from 1987. Again, uh, this one was directed by Corey Allen and written by DC Fontana and Gene Roddenberry. I think it was a good introduction to the characters. Again, maybe not the best TNG episode ever, but they did did do, I think, a fantastic job of kind of pulling everyone in and learning about everyone and all the different characters. The only part I probably didn't really play was the Geordi scene where they talked about his visor and he'd been blind since birth and all that. Hey, you know, you always got to cut something when you're going through these. Actually, there were a couple others I was thinking of cutting uh, as this uh, podcast and as they have been lately getting longer and longer. Who knows? We'll be up to two hours before long. Uh, I hope that isn't too much for everyone. And uh, I, I've never really gotten any kind of feedback on saying, "Hey, Rico, that podcast is getting way too long. You gotta, you gotta cut things. You gotta, you gotta be more, uh, you know, you know, one of those cut happy editors out there that turns a two hour movie into a ninety minute movie or whatever. I don't know, but uh, that's hard to do. So I try to give you a good mix of everything, and, and hopefully they brought up some uh, interesting things from the episode. Then we've got two uh, listeners to play for you, uh, their comments about this episode and uh, some other little fun things. First one up is Kenny, and he has some thoughts about TNG and Encounter at Farpoint. So take it away, Kenny in California. And Kenny just had a birthday this past week. So again, happy birthday to you, Kenny. Hey, Rico, it's Kenny from California. And I just wanted to drop you a few thoughts about the episode that you're talking about this week, Encounter at Farpoint. I wasn't a huge TOS fan. I did see a lot of the episodes when they aired them late at night on TV. But um, I wasn't a huge Star Trek fan. I was more Star Wars. But when I saw previews to this new series called Star Trek The Next Generation, I don't know what it was about the previews, but something just caught my eye. And I decided I was going to watch it. This series had everything that I wanted in sci-fi And at the time, I think there was a lack of sci-fi on TV. Um, You know, V was out and already gone by then, and I was a huge V fan. Um, So I was looking for something to fill that void, and TNG just came along 
at the right time. It had, you know, spaceships, and it had battles, and it had an android, and it was just so cool. Everything about it was cool, and I fell in love with Star Trek for the first time. Um, I actually went back and enjoyed TOS even more after watching TNG. But, uh, yeah, TNG definitely holds a special place in my heart just for the fact that it did introduce me to the world of Star Trek. Um, and this pilot act, uh, you know, was absolutely fantastic. It, you're introduced to Q, who is one of the best nemesis uh, in the Star Trek universe. And, you know, I do actually enjoy Troy's look better in the pilot than in the first season, which I don't know why they actually changed it, but... She looked better in the pilot. Also, the fact that Jordy is theoretically a blind man, and he's flying the ship, which I thought was awesome. But of course, they do change that in the second season, also. But um, it was just—I thought it was a, a nice, simple, cool story, and uh, I so uh, loved the captain. Uh, this new person I had never heard of—I didn't know who Patrick Stewart was. Never saw him in anything. And he was just this charismatic, very strong character. I mean, all the characters were great. And you have Worf and Riker. And, you know, I'm a huge Wesley fan. And I know people out there don't like him. But I actually thought he was great. I think I identified with him the most. Um, so it was just an all-around fun episode. And, like I said, it launched me into this whole new world of Star Trek. And I think uh, Encounter at Farpoint was definitely a great introduction to those non-Star Trek fans to bring them into this universe and um, get them to love the series, which I think it did. At least for me, it did. Anyways, um, I think it's fantastic that you're doing a podcast on this, Rico, because it is a pivotal episode, because if this pilot encounter at Farpoint didn't succeed, then we wouldn't have had seven fabulous seasons of The Next Generation, seven great seasons of Deep Space Nine, and seven great seasons of Voyager. So, um, a lot was riding on this one pilot, and it really paid off, obviously, because we had so much more Star Trek afterwards, and it's been a fantastic ride. So, um, thanks for doing this again, Rico, and I will talk to you later. Bye. Well, thank you, Kenny, for your thoughts. So you brought up some interesting things and some stuff I uh, kind of didn't cover, glossed over. I didn't talk a lot about Worf, although he's not in this episode a lot. He, of course, becomes more important uh, when Tasha leaves, uh, when he becomes uh, head of security on the Enterprise. And then you brought up a little bit about Troy and the way she looked here. Yeah, I didn't talk too much about the look. She had that, you know, kind of severe hairdo and different kind of style uniform. Uh, if you'll notice real closely, too, uh, something at the very end, uh, you see Tasha Yar also in sort of a, a, a skirt-style uniform at the very end of this episode, which I thought was interesting. You know, you don't see that with most of the rest of the crew people, uh, the women aboard the Enterprise, but you see that up for them for some reason. And, you know, they were, I think they were trying to play around with a little bit of the, the TOS uniform look there um, for uh, this. I, oh, I did never talk about the uniforms either. I'll, I'll briefly say uh, they're pretty interesting here, but I, I wasn't really a big fan of them. But when they changed them, I think it was in like season three when they became more of the two-piece outfit and not the really tight, tight jumpsuit look. I, I really, really liked the change then and liked the way the uniforms looked later in, in TNG than they did in the these early episodes of 
the series. So anyway, uh, but thanks for your comments, Kenny. Really great to hear from you on this. And next up, we have uh, a father and son review from the Moyers, from Rick and Nathan, about Encounter at Farpoint. And of course, we had to have a song from Rick to celebrate the pilot episode and the first episode of TNG. So take it away, guys. Hi, this is Rick. And this is Nathan. And this is is the the Father Father and Son Son Review. Review. Well, back where it all started, um, TNG, The Next Generation, with Captain Picard and Worf and Deanna and and Data and Wesley. Son, you weren't even born when it premiered. Um, I remember when it first came out, I got very excited about the show because I really liked the old series with Captain Kirk, you know, and Spock and everybody. Captain Kirk! Anyway, I really liked them. And uh, when I heard they were doing a new one, I was thinking that's going to be really, really cool. So now, you were born, and what did I watch mostly on TV? Star Trek The Next Generation. And so you grew up with Captain Picard and Riker and Dion. I remember watching real episodes when they actually premiered in like 1994. Do you really? Yes. You remember that? Yes. That's pretty cool. You were just little. Yes. You were four years old. Yes. Yeah. And so since then, we've watched a lot of episodes. Indeed. Yes. Stargate, sorry. What's your favorite thing, um, especially about Encounter at Farpoint, the very first episode of TNG? What did you think was fun? Okay, my my least favorite thing. Okay. I'm going to go with that first. All right, okay. Do it. Pain! Pain! Anger! (laughs) Pain! That's your imitation of Deanna Troy. Close your mind, Diana. This space... Diana. Diana. Diana, the space cheerleader. Nice, nice frizzy hair. Yeah, that was pretty fun. What was your, though, okay, that was your worst. Fi- <laughs> how do how, you humans how, do that? How easily oh, humans do that. It's all right, it was close. Okay. I like that too, when we first met Data on the holodeck. It was very fun. So Encounter at Farpoint, it was a cool show. Um, how many stars do you give it? Five. Five stars? Really? The first one? Do you really think so? Even with all the quirky stuff like the paper readouts and everything else? And I don't remember paper readouts. Don't you remember that at the very beginning? No. Paper readout only? They couldn't use the communication system when Q showed up or anything? I don't remember that part. Yeah. Well, anyway. Five, five stars from you. I'm going to give the premiere um, three stars because it really wasn't that great. Maybe I meant... <laughs> you can't go back on your star wait, giving. Wait, wait. I you can't give I'm any more. Give st- I'm going to give it three Night Riders. <laughs> Night Riders. Oh, don't start with that show. That the new Night Rider. Okay. Well, anyway, I wrote a song for this uh, instead of ACDC, um, TNT. What is it called, Nathan? It's TNG. And so I hope everybody enjoys it right here on the Father and Son Review. This is Rick, and this is Nathan, and this is Ben. The The Father and Son Review. Fine. Captain's log, stardate 41153.7. Our destination is planet Deneb 4, beyond which lies the great unexplored mass of the galaxy. Enterprise. 
Friday night. TNG, we're out of sight. TNG, brand new enterprise. TNG, what a big surprise. Totally, totally speechless, guys. Uh, fantastic, fantastic song, Rick. I, I, every week, I, I, I can't believe you just get better and better. And, uh, hey, uh, go drink a lot of water. Maybe have a little honey, uh, something. Uh, your, your throat, uh, I think you wrote me on your email. You pretty tore it up pretty good singing that one. But uh, fantastic job, guys. It just, uh, It's kind of, uh, I'll just say that it's inspiring me because I... I I'm tossing around the idea of uh, putting together a little video and using your song, you know, and doing sort of a music video with your songs. And uh, it's going to take a little work, but I'm going to try to do it. So uh, anyway, thanks so much for uh, your review at the beginning, Nathan and Rick, and the song was fantastic. Thanks very much. Uh, And uh, just keep them coming. How about a collectible review? Right here on Treks in Sci-Fi with Rico Dosky. Okay, I've uh, not had time, and I, even this week is so uh, long of a podcast, it's going to be tight. 
But I'm going to do a real quick uh, collectible review. Uh, I do want to say, though, that I've uh, recently uh, started a, the, uh, an affiliate kind of program with Entertainment Earth, entertainmentearth.com, which is a, a great source for collectibles of all types, Star Trek, Star Wars, Serenity, you name it. They've got it, uh, toys, dolls, action figures, props, uh, just all kinds of great stuff, entertainmentearth.com. If you do happen to shop there on the main website, treksandsci-fi.com, also a link on the forums, if you click that link, you will uh, be able to then order something and get me just a little bit of money back uh, if you use my link to get to their site, as the way it works. I'd really appreciate that if you happen to shop at Entertainment Earth. Uh, they do have some uh, upcoming Art Asylum uh, original series tricorders. They have an exclusive medical version coming out in a couple of months. So if you do want to uh, shop there, check out my links. But the uh, those aren't that's not really the review. Uh, what I want to talk about, and briefly, in probably one or two minutes or less, probably two minutes, is uh, something I got about a week or so ago. This came from Gentle Giant. Gentle Giant had a big uh, sale and uh, over Labor Day uh, weekend, and I ordered some things. They basically where everything was like half off, and uh, I picked up uh, a few things, some uh, different little uh, busts, and uh, this one's a statue. What I'm going to talk about is uh, Gentle Giants. This is their animated Luke Skywalker Star Wars um, statue. It is in you know the style and series they've been doing. Uh, for a while now, of Star Wars figures and characters in in an animated or kind of cartoony kind of style. They did the Princess Leia in R2. They've done Vader, Boba Fett, uh, C-3PO. They've pretty much hit most of them, Obi-Wan. And this one is Luke, as he was seen in uh, the first episode in A New Hope. He's in his X-Wing outfit, holding his helmet, blaster out, uh, lightsaber on his belt. It's about eight inches high. He's in his orange, like I said, uh, flight suit, uh, X-Wing fighter suit or whatever it's called. And uh, what did I get here? Let's see. I got uh, number 2,209 of 4,500 is the edition size. And, they, you know, besides the fact that I got this for half off, I think it only cost me $40 instead of the usual, like, 80 which was cool. Uh, it's, a, it's a very nice piece. He's kind of got a fairly grim expression, and I know there's some people of these animated statues. Some like them, some don't. I like them. I, I think that the kind of nice thing and neat thing about it is that it's a sort of a different take on the Star Wars characters, and they're not going for kind of a photorealistic uh, representation of the actors or characters here. They get to do their own little spin on them, and uh, I'm going to have to pick up some more. I think I have four now, or is it three? three? I got the Vader, I have Boba, the Princess Leia one, and Luke. So uh, I still like to get Chewie and Han, and uh, I think they've got a couple other C-3PO I need to get. So anyway, but this one's great. The paint job's pretty good. One of the better paint jobs I've seen on these. Sometimes they're a little bit sloppy on that. Uh, the colors are good. Uh, again, it's uh, if you like the animated style in these statues, I think this is a, definitely a good one to pick up. They're all on eBay now, too, so if you can't find them in an online store, you check eBay because they go for a pretty good price on there, too. I think what a lot of people are doing or some buyers, what they'll do when Gentle Giant, like they did, have a big sale, they buy up a bunch of this stuff, and then later on they kind of sell it off on eBay and still sell it for a pretty good price. So these are still available uh, online at different places. Check it out, uh, Gentle Giant, uh, the Luke Skywalker animated statue. Okay, it's time for me to wrap this up. Uh, I have got to get going here, get a little lunch. I'm going to go to see the movie uh, Eagle Eye here in a few minutes. A uh, couple uh, last-minute things I wanted to say. Uh, next week... 
We'll be doing a Skype uh, podcast uh, a little, you know, we try to do these a few times each year. This one we're going to talk about fall TV shows and some movies and things. Uh, Anyone's welcome to join us. We'll be recording uh, via Skype. If you're interested in joining in, you know, shoot me an email, treksf at gmail.com. We'll be recording next Saturday on, I think that's October 4th at 2 p.m. Eastern, I guess it's still Daylight Savings Time, Eastern Daylight Time. And we'll be recording probably for about an hour, talk about all different topics, and then that will be next week's podcast. So I hope you'll uh, be tuning back in then and uh, shoot a review up in iTunes, Podcast Alley, for the show if you're enjoying it. And I'd really appreciate that. And uh, just uh, glad you guys keep coming back every week. I really enjoy doing the show still. Uh, we're coming up uh, in a few more weeks. Uh, big uh, show 200, which I think uh, is going to be a lot of fun. I've got a few ideas. Haven't really settled on them. Which one I'm going to do yet, uh, but I will be letting people know very soon, probably by next week or so. I'll announce that, or try to announce it on the podcast website, uh, forums, and everywhere. So, uh, without any further ado, this has been kind of a long one, but uh, I think a good one. I've enjoyed uh, looking at Encounter at Farpoint, and, and thanks for the people who contributed this week. I really appreciate that. It always makes the show a lot more interesting and fun to hear from all of you as well. So, uh, that's about all. Uh, signing out now. <laughs> Everyone, have a great week. Watch some sci-fi. Watch some of the new shows. There's some pretty good stuff, and uh, I think it's been uh, so far. It's been pretty good. And Monday nights, my gosh, too much TV is on on Monday night. Big Bang Theory and the Terminator series, and, and it's just uh, it's overload. And Heroes is back, which has been yeah, interesting so far. Only one episode so far, but uh, we'll see how that continues to work out. And Chuck comes back, which uh, has been a pretty good show too. So anyway. Uh, uh, I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye for now. You've been listening to Treks in Sci-Fi, your weekly dose of geeky goodness and sci-fi entertainment news. This podcast copyright 2008, Rico Dawson.